And uh, specifically, people in ministry are, are really want, are where my heart is, and I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but I'm going to talk about counseling with missionaries, slash also known as member care. And then Leon Adams is going to come up and talk about some other aspects of the migrant worker ministry that I did not touch on today. And um, after I speak, there will be a time of Q&A if you have any questions for me. Um, and then we will also have a, a time of question and answers after Leon finishes uh, talking about the migrant worker ministry. So first of all, um, talk briefly first about what, what member care is. So member care is the counseling wing of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So the International Mission Board is our international mission sending agency. Uh, member care is something that I didn't really know that much about until earlier this year. Uh, it's something that has been on my heart, though, for a long time. But member care is basically the wing of, of IMB that, and other sending agencies have this as well, um, that involves counseling, um, encouraging, strengthening uh, the missionaries who are on the mission field to continue in the work that God has given them to do. So, and, and, and knowing that we're getting in the time of year with the Lottie Moon offering coming up, uh, I wa also wanted to touch on that aspect, as, as Jake has had mentioned, me bringing those things together here. So as we give toward the Lottie Moon Christmas offering coming up in um, about a month or so, um, know that a portion of the funding goes toward helping missionaries, not just with the work that they're doing on the field, but also for their own mental and physical health. Uh, if, you're, if you are familiar with any missionaries or know any missionaries, um, you will know that there are some great struggles uh, depending on where they end up on the mission field. Uh, it could be significant cultural differences, sometimes language barriers, a lot of different things. And I'll get into that a little bit more shortly. So know that your Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes not just to help take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but also to uh, bolster up the health of those that are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth so that they do not give up. So the development of my heart for doing this kind of work uh, came during my time when I was in seminary in New Orleans. Uh, I was a part of um, an accountability group with some guys at the seminary and, and just began to see, um, you know, people in ministry have the same struggles that everybody else does. <laughs> you know, uh, they are not supermen, um, even missionaries, although we may put them up on a pedestal as as, you know, they're out there doing these superhero type things in the, in the Christian world, they struggle just as we do, and sometimes even greater, and I will get into that as well. But, but I began to see the guys in my group and a lot of people I went to seminary with just with various kinds of struggles um, leading to loss of ministry, sometimes loss of family, uh, sometimes some great sin that was there. And it's just always been a heavy burden on my heart to how do we keep that from happening, to keep... You know, those that are going and proclaiming the gospel in a healthy place uh, moving forward. Um, being in New Orleans gave Melissa and I the opportunity to know several missionaries who were coming back on furlough. They would often come to the seminary and stay. There was housing there. Also got to know pretty well when I was on staff at First Baptist New Orleans, uh, Madeline Edens, who was our pastor's secretary. She and her husband, Mike, had been on the mission field in the Middle East with IMB for 30 years in places such as Egypt and Baghdad and Iraq. So they saw some pretty heavy stuff while they were there. But I would often go um, while I was taking either Lily or Lainey to Madeline's office to get candy often. <laughs> um, Madeline would share stories about their time on the mission field with me, and I would just sit and uh, kind of bask in, in those stories. Uh, and, and that, in addition to the others that we came in, uh, were around um, missionaries and also going on the mission field just gave me a heart for that and a desire to, to do counseling with them. So how I got started with this this year, um, it's something I've prayed about for years, but it's been interesting to see how the Lord has begun to work just in the past eight months or so. Uh, I had been told, the gentleman that I went with uh, to Central Asia on the trip uh, a month ago, I had been told by several people, you need to meet Scott. You have a similar heart to him. I think you all would hit it off. I had heard that for about two or three years. I had not reached out to Scott. I saw him in a parking lot in passing once, but I didn't say hi. Uh, but he called me up one day earlier this year to make a referral to my office. 
And, and knowing that I had this opportunity, I said, if you don't mind, I've got, can I have a few more minutes of your time to share my heart with you? Uh, I have this desire to do counseling with missionaries. I don't know what that looks like. And by the end of that conversation, he was saying, you need to go with us to Central Asia this fall because that's part of what we're going to be doing there. So that's how that ended up with just this one conversation with a guy I'd never met. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm going to the other side of the world. Uh, that led to meeting our new IBSA missions director, Shannon Ford. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that name yet. He's a great guy. Um, Melissa and I have actually had him on our house once uh, just to talk about mission stuff. But he and his family were on the mission field in Ukraine for 17 years, followed by the Czech Republic the last three before they came back to the U.S. and specifically to Illinois in March. I was sharing this desire with Shannon and Shannon said, well, you know, as part of the IMB, um, the International Mission Board, we have a segment called Member Care, and I could get you in touch with the Member Care team that is in London. Um, IMB has, has Member Care team members spread throughout the world in certain regions so that they can have quick access to missionaries if there are emergencies they need to respond to. Um, so about two weeks later, we had a Zoom meeting with the Member Care team in London, which ultimately led to the question at the end, if we have some people that are just beyond what we can help with, uh, would you be willing to take on some clients? So, so I have begun seeing some clients with the International, International Mission Board, um, specifically in Europe at this time, uh, and, and have learned just unique struggles and, and issues that, that missionaries on the mission field do have. As part of my uh, recent trip to Central America, or Central Asia, I, I was specifically tasked with doing counseling slash member care with a group of medical missionaries, or about nine of them. Um, three were young females who had been on the field for a short period of time, and then there were three couples that were there. So I just, I met with them. It was a brief time, only one session. It's hard to really get really deep, but uh, was, was using that as a springboard for possibly keeping in touch with them more. And these are people that are all part of various sending agencies that are there, not just IMB, but all of these variety of sending agencies, some I'd never heard of before, that are all working together for the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the scriptural basis I see for this, and, and honestly I see more or less as our, our main goal in going on short-term mission trips is really to strengthen and encourage the missionaries who are on the mission field. I felt that was the key when we were going to Nicaragua with the, the Lees, who are, I mean, you, you fly from here to um, Managua, you take a little bitty Cessna plane to a village of Waspalm, which is about the size of McLeansboro population-wise, and then you take a hollowed-out mahogany tree log 75 miles upriver <laughs> to the village where the, the Lees live. And, and there are not many true believers there, so they feel very isolated and alone. And, and they struggle there to see fruit, as I talked about this morning. So our main task is, is really strengthening and encouraging uh, the missionaries to continue in the faith. And I'm going to read a passage out of Acts chapter 14, which is where this, this comes from. And it's really the, the model for the pattern of missions in Scripture. So Luke writes, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derb. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, so we get the pattern of the Great Commission here. They're preaching the gospel, they're making disciples, they return to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So that's where I, I, I've kind of gotten this heart for, for, for doing this, is mainly, mainly from that passage and the strengthening and encouraging part. So unique needs that missionaries have, and, and specifically their children as well, uh, as I'm continuing to learn about this. Um, one of the missionaries I was with in Central Asia said, uh, and, and this was something that I've heard others say as well, but she painted the picture of uh, miracle grow. <laughs> so whatever you may have struggled with in the U.S. Uh, as, as a sin or just some kind of a struggle, be prepared for that to be amplified on the mission field. 
Um, and she called that miracle grow. It's like you're putting miracle grow on wherever the struggles are. Part of that is that you're in a place where you no longer have the support system that you would at home. You don't have access to your family and friends and, and maybe church family that supported and encouraged you. The other side of that, the spiritual side of that, is spiritual warfare. Satan does not want us to go and take the gospel to places that have never heard. And, and he is going to find any way to try to disrupt and, and get them discouraged and off the mission field. Uh, another item that I've mentioned already uh, regarding the Lees, but isolation is a big issue. Uh, some missionaries end up going to a country where, where maybe they do speak English and the culture isn't that much different. Um, but imagine moving to a place like China, um, which is very different culturally, um, a very different language. And, and you're, you're not in a place where you're familiar with any of that. It can be very, very isolating and, feeling, and you may feel very alone. As I mentioned, some of the believers that I spoke to uh, a month ago are some of the only believers in their village. They don't have a lot of encouragement from others. So it can be a big struggle, and which is why member care is needed to keep in touch with them to make sure they're doing okay spiritually so they can continue on in the work. Loss of identity is a major issue, a major struggle for missionaries. Um, and, and this te- seems to be greater with guys than it is with the women that go on the mission field. But there's still a loss of identity either way. Uh, you may go from being a, a pastor of a church or a church staff member here, or maybe you're you know, a leader in your, in your uh, business that you work with. And all of a sudden, you're in a country where you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, and basically, in many ways, you're, you're an infant again. You've got to learn all these new culture or, uh, cultural uh, ideas. You have to learn a new language. You're starting over, and, and it could be very frustrating. And people don't know you either. <laughs> they don't know that you were gifted in this or that, and they may not care. So, so there's a great struggle with loss of identity <clears throat> One other thing I, I heard a missionary speak on as well, and, and if you know any missionaries, be encouraging to them in this specific area, but uh, missionaries in places such as Central Asia or some of the harder places on earth where you know, the, the dirt is like a giant clod and, and they plant seeds, they preach the gospel, but they don't see a lot of fruit. Um, each year, uh, you know, they have to report and their, their numbers, how many people they proclaim the gospel to and how many were saved. Uh, well, imagine being a missionary in a place like Central Asia where you don't see fruit from that very often. It can be very frustrating, um, especially when compared to when you see numbers coming out of Central and South America with our missionaries there. And, and because the, the seed of the gospel has been planted there for a lot longer. And so, so they, they periodically will get calls from their home churches saying, we're seeing these numbers out of South America and Central America. Um, it doesn't look like you all are doing anything over there, um, which can be devastating. <laughs> they, they are preaching the gospel just as faithfully there, but the soil is harder. There's a lot of harder work and some cultural things to overcome. Specifically where I was, one of the biggest things to overcome is uh, they see Christianity as the Russian religion. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the things we often heard there, um, in, addition, in addition to it being a, a very Muslim country as well. So there's a variety of things to overcome, uh, but the gospel must be proclaimed and the gospel will change hearts. So as we move into this time of Lottie Moon offering, just remembering that your, remember that your offering goes not only to support our missionaries in the proclamation of the gospel, but it also goes to these other uh, avenues such as member care to help them actually stay in the task that God has given them to do. It, uh, it provides counseling for them to encourage them to continue uh, and, and give them strength in the Lord and in, in the work that the Lord has given them, given them to do. Uh, one, one other thing I skipped over as far as their children goes, um, member care for children of missionaries is becoming a new thing that IMB is pursuing currently. Uh, they are beginning to find in a conversation I was having with someone from member care a few months ago. Um, I, I work with a lot of foster kids in my office that I have over the past three years. And they're beginning to see similar struggles in children of missionaries uh, as they do in struggles with people, kids in foster care. And part of that is they're being removed from a culture that was their own, and they're being put into another culture where they also don't feel like they fit, and they just they feel they they just don't fit. Um, so there are some great struggles there that uh, they are beginning to find. And 
And just so you, uh, if you ever see this, this terminology, the new terminology for missionary kid, it used to be MK, is now third culture kid. They're trying to get away from the language of missionary because in many cultures, as in the place where I was, uh, the missionary word is a banned word. You cannot say it um, because missionaries are technically not allowed in, in, in some of these countries. So you do away with saying that word. So third culture kid is, is the current terminology for a missionary kid. So there are there's some great needs and great uh, struggles there, and the Lord has provided me this opportunity. I don't know where it's going at this point, um, but the Lord has definitely been opening doors uh, for me to be able to do this. And uh, so I continue to pray in that direction. Um, so as I, as I close kind of my portion and then prepare to turn it over to Leon, does anyone have any questions? I know that member care is probably a new concept for you. It's still a very new concept for me. I didn't know this wing of IMB existed. It is a fairly new um, area. They, member care used to mainly be more medical, physical kind of things that they would respond to, but now they're taking into account mental health as, as a big part of that as well. So any, any questions about that? Yes, Aubrey. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> pray for, uh, um, I guess just pray, praying for opportunities for that to happen and, and for the the, the people to be brought in by the Lord in order to do this work. I know they're looking for people to do that right now. I know that was one of the, the member care people in London that actually mentioned that to me. Do you work with kids? Yes, I do. Um, I have not done specific member care with any children just yet, but, but praying for workers to do that. You know, kid, kids are unique. Um, and and they are, you know, they are unique even in the fact of going on the mission field that they're there because their parents felt led to go there. Um, they aren't necessarily going because they feel led to go. Although, you know, parents, most missionaries that go on the field do take their children into account and, and try to see how, how is the Lord leading them as well. Um, so, so continue to pray in, in those ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyone else? Okay. One quick note before Leon comes up. Um, in the most recent Illinois Baptist paper that just came out, I believe on Wednesday, or at least our copy came in the mail on Wednesday, there's an article in there about the migrant worker ministry. So if you have access to a paper copy, or I may have uh, Lucas try to post the link for that on our uh, 10-mile Facebook page, you can click on that and read it. Uh, a good article kind of gives you a, another take on, on this and, and more of a point of view from Pastor Jonathan up at Starting Point as well as he was, he was interviewed for that article. Um, but if you do have any other questions for me, feel free to grab me after and then I will help Leon field questions about the migrant worker ministry if the need is there to do so. So with that said, I'm going to invite Leon to come up, my pumpkin farmer friend who the Lord has uh, definitely knit us together over the past year. And I love him as a brother and appreciate um, all that the Lord has been doing uh, with our relationship and with this ministry. So I will turn it over to you. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you. I, uh, I must say I consider it uh, honor and privilege to be able to address you at 10 Mile tonight about this uh, thing that uh, the Lord has done, because that is absolutely what it is. And uh, as I go through some of these things, I want you to be able to see and understand that uh, with your support at 10 Mile and the other churches that have been involved in this and the individuals, there are so many people involved, I cannot even begin to sit here and create this list of each individual that has done something or a thing or, or participated with this, because when you look at it, you, you will understand that God put all these things together. And we struggled a little bit to call, uh, to come up with a name for this event. What, what do we call this thing? And food and field ministry was kind of what we'd come up with here. It's been called Harvesting the Harvesters by uh, the pastors from 
uh, Chicago area. So uh, we don't know where that's going to land, but uh, that's what we've called it so far. And as I uh, go to the next slide, as I, as I look at God's Word and what, what He has to say about a lot of these things, I look at uh, uh, Colossians uh, 9.10 here. I don't have it pulled up yet, but it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, not to cease to pray and make requests for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk worthily in the Lord unto all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. What I'm trying to tell you is, uh, trying to give you knowledge of what God has done here. I want you to understand that through much prayer, through much time and study and contacts, uh, God has done uh, a great thing with uh, H-2A workers in the Southern Illinois area. So go to the next slide. And it, it all revolves around uh, pumpkins, of all things. And my family had raised blueberries for a long time. We had a blueberry patch. People came and went, and it was a you-pick thing. And, and I grew up with that. That was a, a, a big part of my childhood. I worked with my grandfather, and we, we had five acres of blueberries and all kinds of people, the Amish and Mennonites and locals, and everybody came and picked blueberries, and I, I loved it. I enjoyed my time with my grandfather out there learning to tend to the blueberries and prune them and fertilize them. And uh, as, as he passed in 2007, the blueberries passed away with him. They, they had disease problems, and they, they kind of went away. And Andrew and I studied for a long time, what's another thing that we could grow, you know, diversify the farm a little bit. And I kept coming back to the pumpkin thing because I knew the Fry family, the Fry Farms up in Keynes was doing pumpkins in pretty good volume. So I, I pursued them with it. And I said, would you be interested in letting me maybe take a hand at this, something I can diversify into? And, and they took the risk on me. They allowed me to come in. And as we uh, started to dig into growing the crop and maintaining it and everything that was involved, next slide, uh, there was a learning curve, was with anything, agronomy, all kinds of stuff that would keep me up at night and stress me a little bit, you know, and I've had to learn to give some of those things that are out of my control to God and say, here, you're going to have to take care of this because I don't know. I have no idea. And and so maintaining this crop and spraying it and looking at the fruit that comes along has been a fascinating thing to me. But what I didn't think about early on in a lot of it was, was that I was going to be getting about 40 or 50 H-2A migrant workers at my farm. And if you're not familiar with what the, the government has for people to come into the United States, they have a visa program. There's, there's H-1B visas for uh, people that come in under medical uh, type of, uh, of visas to come here and work for a period of time. These gentlemen are here under the H-2A work visa program that allows them to come for a maximum of 10 months, and they are going to work in the agriculture sector of some sort. A majority of these men that work here uh, spend a lot of their time picking watermelons, and they start for other farms in South Florida or the Fry families, all their farms down in South Florida, and they move north. Through, they migrate through, through the United States and pick predominantly watermelons. They have done uh, apples and peaches and blueberries and cantaloupe. But when it comes to watermelons and cantaloupe and pumpkins, this is the process, and we, we, we load them into a bus, uh, we bring them back, you know, go to the next couple slides, they go, uh, come out of the bus onto a conveyor, and they go to this washing machine, and they get tumbled and washed, and they go onto the belt conveyor, and they sort them, and they put them in the big boxes that you see at Walmart or Aldi, which are some of our primary markets. All hand labor. Every single pumpkin picks up by, get cut by hand, picked up by hand, placed in the bus, brought back, unloaded, run across the belt, sized, put into the bin and labeled, a lid goes on it, and out it goes. And during the, the peak time, right before they finished, we were picking, we were picking an average of 25 to 30,000 pumpkins a day during jack-o'-lantern time with about 46 men at my place. It is a lot of manual labor. Go to the next slide. And the thing that, that ultimately Andrea and I talked a lot about with these guys in my driveway every morning because they're turning on their mariachi band music and they're setting up cardboard boxes and they're hooping and hollering and they're having a good time out there. And, and these guys are out here and I'm, I'm sitting here not being able to really 
communicate with them very good other than, you know, the morning wave. And, you know, God, we, me and the girls would go out there once in a while, and the older guys would be like, buenos dias, niñas. You know, they'd see the girls with me, and, and they would uh, razz them a little bit, you know. And uh, whether it's a sense of humor that God has, I don't, I don't know. But when I go back to high school and I think about those years, the only class I failed in high school was Spanish. <laughs> F, fail. Didn't, didn't cut the mustard, okay? And no habla espanol. I couldn't do it. So um, here I am, got all these guys, and it's, it's, it's a little awkward, okay? But, but we grin and we look, and I got Google Translate, modern technology. You got, you, you got everything you ever needed right here. The Bible's here, Google Translate, whatever you want to check out. And that opened the door to a little bit of conversation. But in our own family's history, uh, this is a picture of my Aunt Karen in Bolivia, in the, she, was, she and her late husband uh, were missionaries for the Gospel Missionary Union, which is now uh, a, a part of Avant Ministries. And for 20 years on and off, her and her family did foreign mission work in Spanish-speaking cultures and has for several years now in Phoenix as they have semi-retired and working with Mexicans in, in the Phoenix area. And so this was this thing that that growing up as a kid, my, my cousins would come and they could speak Spanish and we couldn't and it was kind of awkward too, you know, because sometimes they'd say some things and we're like, what are you talking about, you know, or my, my cousins, they can speak two, two languages. This is cool. I don't, I don't understand how to do this. And so that was kind of my passion to learn that. But when you don't use it, if you're not going to use it every day, it just, that's it. And so I let it be. And so here we have this new business starting, a new thing to grow, and I've got 50 guys in my driveway, and I'm like, I have the foreign mission field in my driveway. These people have came to me. They're here. They're right out there, and yet language barriers and all these things, it holds me up a little bit. So we, we knew that, and we, we just laid it down. We just let it be for a period of time. I had to figure some other things out, how to manage all these issues that we would have. And so that began uh, the seed for what we see here today. Go to the next slide. Uh, I came here about 14 months ago. Uh, I was like, Lord, why, what am I doing here? What are you having of me and my family to be at 10 Mile? And I must give uh, your pastor significant credit for the messages that he brings, your Sunday school teachers, because what I find here at 10 Mile Baptist Church is a church body of teachers and believers that are willing to know what's in God's Word. You seek God's Word and you teach God's Word. And I hear that in the classes and the people that I visit with here, and that is at the forefront of what you're trying to accomplish as a church body. And as Andrew and I sat in here and we started to listen to your sermons from First and Second Samuel, uh, I guess it may not have been for any of you, but it sure was for me because I could sit here and listen to everything that I needed to hear having went through a difficult time in my own life. And so as I sit here and I start to absorb these things, uh, opportunities come and discussions are happening. We get to know people in our Sunday school class. And uh, as Jared told you this morning, as we join the Facebook group, he says, hey, we're going to uh, this starting point church in Chicago. Okay, this is, this is the front of the church of, uh, up in starting point in Chicago in Belmont, Cragen area. And uh, go to the next slide. Uh, Jared put these pictures on Facebook last fall about going up there, and here sets all these pumpkins, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. Where did those come from? <clears throat> because little did you know, at that time, I had made a lot of good friends and contacts with the IBSA disaster relief crew. I had several good friends of mine in the Mount Vernon area and other parts of southern Illinois that were working with the food distribution Disaster relief, all because of COVID. COVID changed so many things, did it not? Would you agree it changed the way we think, the way we function, who we are as people, who we are as Christian believers? And so there was this, the warehouse in Mount Vernon, and they had, they had pallets. They had tons of them. They, we, don't, we don't know what to do. They got all this food. It comes in. During COVID, they were handing out 1,200 uh, food boxes a week out of 
of, of, of these warehouses, and they had all these kinds of food products, and they had all these pallets, and I said, I can use the pallets. And they said, we want to take pumpkins to kids. Can you get us pumpkins to give to these kids in the fall? I said, I'll get you all you want. We got number two quality, you can take them. We'll let pallets be our currency. So pallets are worth five, seven bucks, and you give me four or five hundred of those, and that'll pay for these guys to pick them, and then you take them and you scatter them to churches all over the state. And they did, and it was a huge hit. And so he's showing me this, this up here, and, and, and I'm like, what, what is going on here? Is this, is this one of these places? And, and that these are getting to go, and, and uh, I, was, I was set back by a little bit. And go to the next slide. So we just kind of let it be for a little while longer. And he later comes to me and Jared says, hey, we're, we're going to do another food distribution up here. Can you, can you help us with some of that? I said, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, I, I got semis. They got trailers. Let's go big with this. Let's, that's, that's what I tend to do sometimes. We'll go big, go all the way. So we go up here to the, the food distribution house, and we get 20-some pallets of food of numerous anything you can think of. We grab a candy bar and we're cruising through this place and eating expired candy bars and looking at all the food that they got up in here. And we throw 22 pallets of stuff on a 22-foot reefer trailer and we hook it to the semi and off we go to Chicago. And it was kind of a stupid idea in some cases because if you've ever drove around up in there, all the roads are about like this aisle right here. And we, if it hadn't been for Michael and the boys with me, I don't know if I'd have made it or not, but we got this truck in their little bitty lot through the suburbs of Chicago, and on a Sunday morning, we gave away over 400 turkeys. We gave out food to hundreds of people, countless families. I have no idea, and I, I really was questioning, Lord, why did I bring all this stuff? Because are we really going to be able to get rid of it? And we did. It all disappeared. By 1 o'clock in the afternoon, it was gone. But at our time while visiting with this pastor, he approaches me about, can we come to Southern Illinois? And can we do a migrant ministry with your people there? And I had a lump in my throat about it. I'm like, well, maybe this is what we're supposed to be doing. And I drove all the way home really struggling with it a lot because it's, it was kind of like uh, when you, you know, play sports, you know, and the coach grabs you by the shirt and he's pulling you and he's wanting you to go in to play. And he says, come on. And I, all the way home, driving that truck, that's all I could feel was the Lord saying, come on, boy, this is what you need to be doing. <clears throat> so, next slide. Um, God is, Second uh, Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that ye having always all sufficiency in everything, and may abound unto you in every good work. He will give you what you need, and he will provide for you all these components. Next slide. Um, he sent me the support that I needed. Because at that time, I'm just driving home thinking, how do we even... We, I got one guy, Pastor Jonathan, he can speak Spanish and that's it. How do we talk to 40, 100 or more individuals? And how does this even come together? So as I discussed it, as I prayed about it, as I shared it with family, friends, our Sunday school group, church, an individual after church came to me and said, we want to help. Because when you, when you look at this kind of effort, this is the component here, number one, that shows me God had his hand on the entire process. How often do you see multiple churches in a community or an area code that are willing to participate with each other and take an individual component of something and say, we'll do this, you do this, and let's go. <clears throat> step by step, we find that 10 Mile will help us. You've got a food pantry. Hey, we'll get food, we'll get this, whatever we got to have. And I share it with some of my wife's family and, and at Sugar Camp in Mount Vernon, and they said, hey, well, how can we help? I said, well, I think we need a place for these guys to stay because geographically we've got too many miles to cover. They can't stay at 10 Mile and drive to Centralia to meet them at the hotel. I don't even know how they're, what we're going to do at the hotel. Don't worry about that. They, they're going to be at my place. Maybe you can stay there and you can commute between the farm at Hoylton and my farm. And we said, all right, we got showers. We can handle eight, ten people, not a problem. And so as I share it with another good friend of mine, Kelly, and, and we're like, hey, maybe, maybe my church can help, he says. And so we meet with them, and they say, well, we got cookers. We'll support you in whatever you need. And, 
Maybe we got gifts we can give them. I said, okay, that would work good. We'll come up with a list of gifts that they can give. And, and Jonathan says, I'm going to try to get as many people as I can come, six, eight, ten, whatever it takes that can speak Spanish. And step by step, we get each component. IBSA loans me that trailer to store food in. They get us a shower house with laundry. These were things that the migrant men needed. They needed the ability to come in at night at this hotel, to not wait on somebody to take a shower, do a little laundry, and get this home-cooked meal because we learned that the meal spoke to them. They're gone from home. These guys are out eight, ten months out of the year. They're doing hard manual labor. A lot of times they would eat their meals sitting on a pumpkin in the field or sitting in the bus. No table, uh, nothing special. A lot of times no fork or knife, just a burrito or whatever it was that they got. And that's how they live their day-to-day -day life. Next one. So Pastor Jonathan, uh, being the component that we couldn't, we couldn't add, okay, I can't speak Spanish, I couldn't do it. And he starts reaching out to his brothers in Christ and says, can you guys come down here and help me? So he gets Pastor Tony from, from Effingham and Pastor Renee and Pastor Ricky. And uh, they come down to be able to speak to us. So component by component, God puts together. I didn't know those guys. Jared didn't know those people. Barely knew Jonathan. Um, you, you may not have known the individuals at Emmanuel or Sugar Camp, but one by one, they start to come together. Go ahead. <clears throat> but, as they say sometimes, the devil's in the details. And when you try to do something for the Lord, I assure you that he is going to get his foot in the mix, or throw a spoke in the wheel on occasion. And Revelations 12.12 says that, uh, Woe on the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down unto you, having great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. Now that's the key word in that scripture. I want you to understand. He knows that he has a short amount of time. Because he's going to get whipped. It's going to happen. But he still can get a hold of you and torment you a little bit. And next slide, there was nothing always easy about everything that went on at our place through this fall, through this summer. And it started basically as I got into planting season and it was time to plant the pumpkins about June and it was dry and it was terrible dry. And I'd never planted the pumpkins in that kind of a dry environment. And there wasn't much rain in the forecast and I'm looking at the, the cost and I'm looking at Am I getting these too deep? Are they too shallow? They're very fickle. And I, I finally I planted 80, 100 acres of them, and I'm wanna, I'm wanna, I want to quit. I'm like, no, nope, I'm going to wait till it rains. We'll be fine. I'll come back and do it later. Uh, and then finally I'm like, okay, wait a minute, time out. If I'm supposed to be doing this, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Do you want me to keep planting? And he just says, come on. He grabs you by the shirt and says, come on. And so we did. We kept planting, we planted them all, and there was about a two or three-tenths chance of rain that weekend. That's all we had, that was all they were calling for. <clears throat> and I said, well, they're in the ground, Lord, it's up to you. I planted a seed, I can't do anything else because I can't make it rain. It rained two and three-quarter inches that, that weekend. And I got the most perfect stand of pumpkins because if I didn't have pumpkins, there wasn't nothing for these guys to come down here and do. So we went on, and we, we had our struggles and our hitches once in a while. And about a week, before, a week before the men got here, as I started to kind of feel things bowl and rumble in the stomach a little bit, this is, this is coming together. He's put these things in place. And about a week out, I get a phone call one night from one of my hands, and he says, buddy, your truck's on fire, and I don't have a clue why. <clears throat> So we rush home, leave the combines, and we blister at home as fast as we can get there. And for some unknown reason, because it can, I had a truck catch on fire and burn to the ground that evening. And, and as I went home that night and Andrew talked about it, we said, this is spiritual warfare at this point. Because he wants me distracted. He wants me hurt. He wants me out of the game. He wants me to, to, to pull it to myself and believe that it's, that it's on me and tripped me up in all of this the best that he could. And he kept coming. And the Monday that the men got here, I, my wife and my daughter had went to a doctor visit, and, and she says, well, 
We went and had Maylie checked out, and we kind of knew maybe she had a little bit of a curve in her spine, a little bit as she was growing, but we didn't really know what that was about. And the doctor says, well, your daughter's got scoliosis, and you're going to have to look at some treatment. You're going to have to study about what to do with your daughter. We, we don't really necessarily have an answer right now. And so I get this phone call while we're getting started. And the men are here, and they're visiting with the migrants, and I've got all these things going on, and I'm like, well, I know the greatest physician, and he's going to take care of that too because he's taking care of everything else. <clears throat> Next slide. <clears throat> so as I look at what Paul wrote in the book of Romans, then I became even more convinced. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He can't, devil can't win. He doesn't get to win. And he can't separate us from the love of Christ. And when we give it to him, one of the most difficult things sometimes that there is to do, we start to see the miracles happen. Next slide. So here's the boys. They came down from Chicago. They showed up at the farm. They'd never been to farm. They didn't have a clue. Everything was brand new to them. They're just like, whoa, kind of like I am when I go to the big city. I'm just looking around. <clears throat> Pastor Jonathan there and, and, and Ricky and Renee, and, and they come down, and, and they're so excited. They had a great trip just to visit as pastors. He said that was as much of a mission trip as anything because those men got to share with each other about being pastors and working in the Hispanic community. And uh, they came down and, uh, next slide, got to tour around the farm and then uh, meet with the guys a little bit. And, and they, they all admitted, even for them, it was a little awkward at first. You know, who, who are these people? You, you look like us, you can talk to us, but what, what are you doing here? And as I had left this information with uh, the, the crew members that managed our crew, you know, they, they knew that it was kind of a church effort, but they really didn't know what it would entail. And one of the most impactful things to these young men is this group right here. Youth, Anglo youth, white, white kids, serving them. Because that's not the story that we see in America, is it? It's the Mexicans work at the restaurant and they serve us. And that had significant impact with them immediately. And it, and it was. It was awkward a little bit for them. But this one, this picture uh, spoke to me a lot about how this effort began the process to soften them and, and, and get their hearts and their minds to be willing to listen to what the pastors had to say. Go to the next slide. We had music, Pastor Tony Munoz from, he was the bald-headed guy there. He's the, uh, the musician, and he came down and he said, I didn't even know what we were doing down here, but I'd been to Centralia before with other mission work. And I thought, I'm just going to go. We're going to go check it out. And, and when he got there and he seen the young men and the effort, he's like, okay, you have my attention. And these young men came in, they got a chance to have a meal at a table. Just at a table because they have a lunch lady that travels with them and she fixes them three meals a day. They're going to grab breakfast on the way to get in the bus and they're going to eat breakfast in the bus because they're at my house at 7 o'clock. They're going to go to the field and they're going to start picking and they got a snack with them maybe in a backpack and they got water that they provided with. But then lunch comes and she comes in a cooler. She's throwing out plates and burritos and whatever else they got every day. They're going to eat in a field. And when they get back to the hotel, they're going to get their food. They're going to go to their hotel room. And there's two or three guys in there, and they might have a table. They might sit on a bed. But to have a table to sit down at <clears throat> was a huge thing. And we thought about this as we pursued the Centralia Baptist Church because the first thing that they said was, yeah, we've noticed these guys over here for four or five years. We've been praying to do something with them, but we knew we couldn't speak to them. We've prayed for this for four or five years. And now we have this opportunity. So bring them in. Come on in. <clears throat> and uh, they sat there and they got to enjoy eating a hot meal at a table. Next slide. Uh, Pastor Jonathan brought a sermon. Pastor Renee did. And Pastor Ricky visited with them. And uh, we didn't know what they were saying. We didn't have any idea. We just had to trust that 
you know, this is, this is what the Lord will want, and they're having conversation. So your 10-mile group and your youth, I applaud you. you. You did wonderful. You worked. You served. You did it happily, and that was super impactful to all those young men. And we were able to come back and work with, uh, with Pastor Tony here that you see in a group of the young men that came forward and said, through all of that, through the entire week, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ in our lives. Fourteen on Wednesday night. And we soon found out there was four more that Pastor Ricky and Pastor Renee and Jonathan had visited with. Go to the next slide. Those are the men that came forward that night. And, and as they, they took the gifts that the Emmanuel Church had, had purchased for them, they had gloves and earbuds and sunglasses and, and uh, cups and just snacks and all kinds of things. Uh, all that had been kind of handed out, and these guys come up and they said, we've prayed about what you told us, and we, we want to follow Jesus Christ with, with our decision. And within those, those young men, I want to tell you a handful of stories about some of those guys before I finish. <clears throat> uh, pastor Ricky was uh, the younger pastor there, and he just has that gift to be able to sit down and share the love of Christ with you while you eat dinner and while you visit one-on-one. And he sat down with a young man, I didn't catch his name, but he says, I have prayed that God would, I would learn more about God while I was in America. I wanted to know more about God while I am here and who He is. And then you're here. Now you're here to share that with me. <clears throat> he got saved. Um, another young man, didn't catch his name, you got to think about this. You're gone for eight months. A lot of things happened. Well, his first daughter was born while he was here. And uh, he was ecstatic because she's healthy. She's good. God is good. And he was ecstatic about his new, new daughter and showing everybody pictures and uh, excited to go home within the next couple of weeks. Uh, through dis- discussions with some of them, that some of these young men shared their stories and struggles of racism that as they travel throughout the United States and stay at these various hotels and places that uh, they get hollered at a lot. They don't always know what everybody's telling them, but you can imagine. Centray is kind of a tough town, and they get hollered at a lot as they stand outside the hotel and visit and run down to the restaurant, get a snack or something. Uh, South Georgia was no different, and they didn't quite understand that. And Illinois really wasn't their first choice and favorite place to go to. And uh, the homesickness, because they're at the end of their, their tour. They're homesick. They want to go home. They've missed things. Where's my kids? Um, this, again, allows them to open the door every night to be able to talk to home, see your children, talk to your wife, your family, catch up on what's going on. Sometimes they do it when they're out in the field. They'll be they're like hanging around their neck or whatever, and it's here, and, and they're throwing pumpkins and visiting with kids and listen to their mariachi music, and, and, and happy. Because they said, you have to learn how to separate a little bit of this. Because when you're in the shed, and they're in the packing shed, the forklifts are running everywhere, and there's people and pallets. So you get your foot smashed, break your ankle, get hurt. You have to leave home at the hotel sometimes. You have to learn to leave it there and let it be. <clears throat> and... Right off the bat, a young man, the young man in the middle there on the right, he come to Pastor Jonathan the first night and he says, are, are you a preacher? He says, well, yes, yeah, I am. What's up, buddy? And the tears just started to roll down his face. And he says, I don't know what to do. He said, I just got a call from my wife not too long ago that our village was being attacked in Mexico. And a lot of times these guys, they, the people live in these larger cul-de-sac type suburbs and there just may be a grouping of houses, 20, 30 homes. There may be, it may be gated, it may not. Uh, you know, one of the learns, words that uh, I've used a lot more is trying to understand the term abstract poverty, meaning that it is the lowest form of poverty. And so some of these little cul-de-sac places that these guys live in are pretty poor. Some people just have a little shack. Some of them have a two-room home. Some of, there might be a nice home in here too. But within these communities, families and friends all gather, and they, they're there to protect each other. But in this guy's community, they were attacked. Whether it was cartel, I don't know. He didn't know either. But he says, 
They've come into my house. They've burnt my father's home. They've burnt other homes. They're shooting people. They've got the entire road blocked off. And the internet is the only way that we can communicate. And he's just bawling his eyes out to Pastor Jonathan. He says, I don't know what to do. I can't talk to anyone. I don't know where my brothers are. I don't know where my wife and children are. We have no communication. I can't talk to anyone. And last I knew, they burnt my parents' home and part of mine. And so Jonathan's like, well, we're going to pray about this right now. So they sat down in the back of the room, and I watched them for quite a while, and they sat back there and they prayed for a long time. And so the guy gets up and goes back to his hotel, and Jonathan's just gut-wrenched. He's like, "What, what, what else do you do? And so when I, when I, again, tell you how God orchestrates things, uh, this young, these two brothers up here, they were working at the uh, Rommelman Brothers operation in, in Holton. They weren't working at my place. So we didn't really know them, and we really didn't have plans to go up there because our schedules get cha- uh, chaotic, and how many trucks does my place have coming in? How many trucks do they have, and who's working longer? We, really, we, just, we didn't have a schedule plan. But that was a slow week for shipments, and I called uh, Mr. Rommelman, and I said, hey, could they come up here for a little bit, these these pastors? He says, yeah, it'd be fine. And it turns out Wednesday was the day. They had a half day's worth of work. So Pastor Jonathan and uh, the other pastors drove up there and found the farm, and they pulled in there, and Jonathan says, I'd no more open the door and stepped out, and here he comes running. He comes running to me, he gives me a hug, and he says, they got out. They're safe. They're alive. My wife and children are alive. My brothers are alive. And I can communicate with them. And Pastor Jonathan grabs me and says, don't you understand? God hears our prayers. He hears us and he answers our prayers. Those are the two young men right there. They got saved and they got baptized because they wanted to give their life to the Christ who hears their prayers. They wanted more of that. And I... I think of uh, a passage in Mark chapter 5 about Christ when he came through the little town and there was the man that was demon-possessed. And he says, uh, he asks the man, who are you? And he, he says, I am legions for we are many. And he begged Christ to just turn him loose into the herd of pigs. And so Christ healed the man and the man was ecstatic, of course, and, and the man come to the realization of what Christ had done. He says, I will follow you. I want to go with you. And Christ says, no, no, I want you to go back home. And I want you to tell others who I am and what I have done for you. <clears throat> and that was, uh, that was the message for those young men. Go home tell your families about who Christ is and what he's done for you. Share that with your families at home. And it is our sincerest hope that through Pastor Tony and through the the information that they have given us that these young men can find churches. Because they're there. They're in Mexico. There's Baptist churches there. One of the young men that got Pablo, he got baptized. He says, my wife and kids were baptized a year ago and I didn't do it. I chose not to. And he says, as, as Pastor Tony went through what baptism was in her Bible study, he says, I have to do that for my wife and kids. This is what the Lord is asking me to do, and I'll do it. And he obeyed. Three, out, of, out of the 18, there were three. Some of the young men struggled a little bit. They come from the Catholic background. They didn't really understand the full components of baptism and what it meant. Some of them were sprinkled, and they had those discussions and concerns. But a team of young men from Chicago were able to speak to a team of young men from Mexico. And there was salvation... And God had his hand in every ounce of it. <clears throat> so when I look at my own life and I look at our farm and, and I see what God has done there, I give him the praise and the glory for every bit of it because there were so many hands and so many individuals involved. I can only say that this is something he has done. And we hope to continue. We hope to see more. I thank you for your prayers and support and the effort that you have put into this and Brother Jared, and all of, all of our class and everyone here that has participated. I thank you.
We so, are fielding questions. Yeah, I guess with that, um, do you have any questions about the migrant worker ministry? There are changes. You can apply for an H-2A work visa when you're 17. And it's not easy. There is aptitude tests. You have to pass a drug test, and it takes a year. Once you turn 18, then you have, and you've passed all these benchmarks, and you've probably slipped a few thousand dollars under the table to someone uh, within the system down there, then you have the opportunity to come to America. And some of them come and go. Majority of them are 18 to 25 years old. Yes. No, this, this group has been at our place for four years. This was our fourth year, and they've been coming to Southern Illinois to pick for uh, the Rommelman farm and my farm for five, six years now. One of the struggles that, that I thought we would have that we didn't was would the owners of Hernandez Harvesting, they're the guys that deal with the paperwork, they have the buses, they bring the boys around, and they do the work as they travel, uh, I was a little bit afraid that the older gentleman that owned the business, Joel Hernandez, who didn't speak very good English either, he's an American citizen, they live in Florida, in Fort Meade, and that, that maybe he would be a little bit resistant. And his son and I had struck up a good friendship over the past few years of them coming, and he didn't have a problem with it, but we didn't know about his dad. And uh, Pastor Tony got to visit with him quite a bit, and, and when Tony told him, he said, there's been 14 young men come to know Christ through this. And he, he turns and he looks at him. He says, are you serious? He says, yeah. Yeah. He says, well, I'm surprised because I have accounted a lot of these young men as basically hoodlums, young men of uh, questionable character and coming up in difficult environments in Mexico to come here to work and not really accounting for any spiritual things, was his, his words. And it softened him. I could see it that... Uh, he was then willing to say, yeah, one of the young men that drove a bus for us, he says, we needed this. We absolutely needed it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, the pastors are on fire. They're still, you know, Pastor Jonathan told me here last week, he said, I'm still digesting and decompressing from from all that took place and all that we were told, and uh, but they are preparing to be able to come back in a little bit larger force, and we want to be able to cook these young men authentic Mexican cuisine for three or four nights, and, and Pastor Tony at Effingham says, he says, I got some Mexican grandmas, and I will bring them down, and they will teach you, you know, all these things and all these dishes to be able to uh, you know, be able to feed them things that they're used to. But yeah, to Aubrey's question, definitely be in prayer for what the next step looks like. I know there's a lot of ideas that the pastors have. There's been some ideas that we've thrown out about what would it look like if you trained, because um, these are all males, so it would be, it would be a male, uh, to go and be with each group of migrant workers kind of as a chaplain or a missionary in a, in a sense to actually go with them to the various places they go to be that spiritual support for them along the way. So there's, that's an idea, but there's a lot more. I know the pastors, as, as Leon said, were over the moon excited about <laughs> what this was when they got here and actually saw what the Lord was doing. Yeah, there are some, and, and I think you had a contact with the IMB that could maybe help mm. with some placement, but the pastors have these boys' phone numbers and their information, and I, you just have to turn it over to them. They're the ones that have to, to follow through with helping these guys. Yeah, Pastor Tony from Effingham, also, he went to seminary. In addition to going to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, he, after Katrina, went to Southwestern in Dallas-Fort Worth. And he has lots of connections there, um, uh, as well as in Mexico. So, so yes, we hope and pray that they will be connected with the church and be discipled there. But that's definitely that's one of those 
trusting in God that that will work kind of thing. So on our end, it's kind of out of our hands from here. Bonnie, Bonnie Webb fixed them an apple pie. I don't know if she's here tonight anywhere. We had, we had meals prepared for them, and then they had meals prepared for the the young the, the the pastors that were there. And so they sat in my office the first morning. It was our noon lunch, and we got you something to eat. Come on in. They had an apple pie there, but and and, and Pastor Ricky was looking at this apple pie, and they're seeing the pie, and they're like, "Well, all right, we'll go ahead and have a piece," you know. And and uh, they get through about half of it, and. Ricky's a younger guy, and he's a pretty strapping young man. He's a wrestler. He likes to wrestle, and he just kind of grabs the rest of the pie and sets back down at the table, and he's sitting there eating this thing, and he's, I said, Ricky, you think that's pretty good pie? And he just looks up with me, and he just says, in broken English, he says, this is the best pie I have eaten in my whole life in America. <laughs> so it was a great apple pie, and it was, it was very good. I, I got a little. He ate half of it. <laughs> and at the at the end of Wednesday night, um, one of the larger migrant workers who spoke English really well, I can't remember yes, his name, yes. but he ended up bringing a watermelon into us to thank us for the past three days of work, which was, you know, a, a very kind kind of peace, gracious offering to us. But in the midst of that, he said, we, we had two of them, but we actually ate one of them before we got here. <laughs> so... Anyway, it was a good time. <laughs> yes. Any other questions? Well, you, well, you may not know them. Do pray for them because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're gone for that much time from home, you go home to issues, you got things to take care of. And getting across the border, we learned, was one of their biggest struggles on the journey home because in the border, and these young men come through, we not only have a lot of people coming to the border to get into the United States, but you also got a lot of a lot of cartel and thugs and people that just want to rob you because they think you'll have piles of cash in your bags. And they've had to learn how to travel pretty light. Uh, they don't get paid in cash. They're able to do electronic transitions to get their money back home. That's one of the requirements because you're not going to you're not going to walk across the border with thousands of dollars in your backpack. That's not a smart move, but. Uh, once they get to the border, then they're able to find their way home on their own. And it is a blessing for them to be able to come here to work because one of the, one of the young men told me, he says, what I make in one day in Mexico, I can make in one hour in the United States. And it's about a 20 to 1 ratio. Uh, the peso is worth very little. So if you can make $25,000 in America, picking watermelons and pumpkins, in eight, ten months, that's a half a million pesos. And it changes the dynamic and trajectory of their family. It really does. And when you, when you look at it that way, and uh, then you kind of start to understand a little bit more about why they're here and what they're doing. Yep. USDA sets a lot of that, and it's, it's within so many dollars an hour. Uh, they also get paid by volume. So if they pick 30 buses at my place and pack 600, 700 bins, that's basically their base payment. Um, if there's rain out days, they get a lot less. If they don't work, travel time. The USDA kind of helps set some of those things up. It's not necessarily just clock in, clock out. It, it is by volume and, and, and productivity. Any final questions before we close it out in prayer tonight? You can always come and ask us. Yes, there is one more question. We, we are familiar with that group out of Redbrush, correct? No? Strong Tower. Okay, yep. Okay. Uh, that, Pastor Tony uh, Munya is there. He, he was not very familiar with that group, but I'm sure we can uh, put something together for that, yes.
That'd be great. But if anyone has any follow-up questions I don't want to ask here in front of everybody, <laughs> feel free to come up and ask when we're done. Yep. We'll, we'll be here. So, But let me close this out in prayer, and uh, you all will be dismissed. Father God, thank you for your work in this ministry, how it's been so obvious that you were bringing all the pieces together and that uh, you uh, receive all the honor and glory for what you have done. I pray for these men as they are back in Mexico now to be able to get plugged into churches, to be able to be discipled and become healthy, productive followers of you. And as they lead their families, I pray that you would bless them and guide them. Um, protect them from the enemy as he will no doubt attempt to discourage them from what uh, they experienced with you here. And, and pray for guidance for this ministry in the future and where you're leading and uh, just the, all, the, all the opportunities that are there before us. I pray that you would guide our steps and, uh, and may we honor you in that. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for all that you are doing, all that you've done. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.